The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory Glory to to you, Lord Christ. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Well, good morning. Welcome to All Saints, and welcome to you who are joining us online. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This morning, would you make my words and the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we finish our sermon series through the season of Epiphany, where we have been looking at Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi, one of four letters he writes from prison. We imagine that he was chained to his right and to his left to prison guards, and he is dictating to a scribe what he wants the churches to know that he has either planted or his disciples have planted. He understands what the Christians in first century Rome are going through and what he's anticipating will be more that they'll be going through. Societal uncertainty, spiritual darkness, Like today, Paul realizes realizes that there's no greater need than a hopeful, alive church full of joy. For joyless, discontent Christians are a bad advertisement for the Christian faith. And no doubt, we can look back and see in history how the early church grew like wildfire, undoubtedly because of this joyfulness that was evident in the early Christians' lives, regardless of their circumstances. Philippians ends with some well-known verses in our Christian lives to finish our series on the possibility of joy. Last week, the verse that talks about peace that many of us know well, be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joy, peace. And then today in our passage, the latter half of chapter 4, Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And verse 11, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Contentment, peace, joy, like three sisters, triplets, that are a package fruit of abundant, abiding life in Christ. That's what Paul is describing here. There have been all sorts of examples of this kind of contentment in history. I'm wondering if you have found that kind of contentment in all circumstances. Some of the circumstances in history are not as extreme as prison, but some are more so. For example, in the English Reformation, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley in the 1500s were leaders in the church there. And they were being burned at the stake, tied back to back. And the flames, as they were about to lick their feet, this is what Latimer said to Ridley. He turned to him, to Ridley behind him, and said, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man today. By God's grace, we will light a candle in England that will not be put out. Can you imagine having? The Lord work in your heart and mind so much that that would be your response to such extreme circumstances. Joy, peace, even contentment in the midst of being martyred. That may be hard to imagine for us today. We are either the most or one of the most wealthy, stable societies in human history. And yet our psychologists and sociologists tell us that we're also incredibly discontent. With almost half the world, 3.4 billion people living on less than 3 to $5 a day, depending on the statistics that you believe, we have plenty, relatively speaking, and we use our disposable income in amazing amounts for therapy and counsel. Our contentment seems elusive to us, even though we have stability and relative plenty. Maybe it's not about what we do or don't have. Have you experienced visiting a third world country on a mission trip like I have? I've, I've been on and led several mission trips, but there are two locations that I've gone to that were particularly impactful for me because of the poverty that I saw there. In Cusco, Peru, in the mountains, that, the far-out mountains from there in the Andes, and also in Ulaanbaatar, Outer Mongolia, where in both places people lived on dirt floors and hand-to-mouth with tattered clothes, and their sewage line was there open on the street. And yet going and worshiping with those, those Christians in the third world they had a joy and a spirit of the Lord in their face that was contagious. It was amazing to see, though poor, they had those triplets, joy, peace, and contentment. 
Paul says in verse 12 that he's learned the secret of contentment in whatever situation. And so two points for us to consider this morning, the mystery of contentment and the marks of contentment. The mystery and the marks. First, the mystery. Paul describes here a deep-seated joy, no matter what life throws at you. But he says it's hidden, it's elusive, it's a secret. So how do we get it? Well, we first need to understand how we don't get it, how we tend to seek counterfeit contentment in all sorts of ways. We tend to think that we are insufficient in some way. Perhaps I don't have the right personality to be content. If only I was a steady on Myers-Briggs test, then I'd be content. Or only if I was a happy-go-lucky Enneagram 7, then I might be content. No, every personality has a struggle with contentment in some situations. So it's not personality that needs to change. Maybe I don't have sufficient detachment with this world. I need to stop caring, deny my feelings. Some version of Stoicism or uh, Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, Hinduism, where it just says, suck it up mind over matter, because matter is evil. Rid myself of desire. Become indifferent, unaffected by my circumstances. No, that's not going to give us contentment in every circumstance. What about my insufficient self? I need to change myself. We look on Instagram and Facebook and social media, and we see how everyone seems to have it so together. Maybe I need to change my look. I need to have the right weight, the right muscle tone, the right style, my clothes, my hair, the sufficient youthfulness. But there's always someone else that seems to be doing it better, looks better. So maybe not my look, but my outlook is what needs to change. I need to be positive, look on the bright side, find the silver lining But in the end, down that road, we end up putting on a fake show, not being real. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be trying to improve ourselves and our situations, but it is saying that changing yourself, seeking self-sufficiency, will not bring you the contentment that Paul is describing here. So maybe I'm insufficient in my security or my comfort or what will buy that. I don't have enough money. Well, one man who had the most in the world of his time in the 1900s, John D. Rockefeller, was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? And his answer, just a little bit more. No, money won't buy us contentment. And So maybe another counterfeit contentment we seek is accomplishment. I'm insufficiently accomplished. I need to be about accomplishment. In his 60 Minutes interview at age 30 with three Super Bowl rings, Tom Brady said this, why do I still feel like there's something greater out there for me? There's got to be more than this. And so 10 years later and two rings later, 
a reporter asked him, which ring is your favorite? His answer, the next one. Contentment for us as a people is elusive. So how do we get it? What is the secret to contentment in all circumstances? It's this. Contentment is not, it doesn't come from sufficiency. It comes from dependency. Dependency on the one who is thoroughly dependable and fully sufficient. Jesus Christ, sufficient for every situation. In verse 13, Paul says perhaps one of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses in Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul is not saying here that if you just sprinkle a little Jesus in your life, then you can win the Super Bowl or be awarded the Nobel Prize or be CEO of the year or ace that test that you really didn't study for. No, he's saying, I can face and endure anything life throws at me because I'm made strong for all things by the one who's constantly infusing his strength into me, his person into me. Friends, the Christian life is not just a point of view. It's not just a teaching or a philosophy. The Christian life is the mighty power of the presence of the life and spirit of Jesus Christ entering in and working in and through you to change you so that you are fit for any and all circumstances and can know the contentment the Lord wants for you. In 1979, some of you may remember the classic sci-fi movie, Alien, starring Sigourney Weaver. It was an evil alien that was out to control lives and take them over and indwell them and destroy them. Totally unlike the Christian life and Christian experience, and yet somewhat like it in this, not an unrighteous alien, but the Christian has an alien righteous power and presence of God that enters in and comes to, as Paul says in Philippians 2, work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Philippians 1, he began a good work in you and will bring it to completion. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you hear all that working that's going on inside the Christian life? In other words, we Christians are construction zones, and the turf of the construction is our minds and our hearts. God has, the great architect has a particular plan for each one of you, but all of our plans are to bring us to gospel contentment the place where we can be content in whatever circumstance because we are abiding in him. And so gospel contentment starts with knowing that Christ is in you and you are in Christ and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. And this gospel contentment is a secret 
Because it must be learned. Paul didn't always know this contentment. He tells us in Romans 7, starting at verse 7, that he struggled with the 10th commandment. Now, he looked at all the other nine commandments before that, and he didn't think he had a problem. He felt good about himself and how he was doing. But Romans 7 describes that when he comes to the 10th commandment, it slays him because he's real, he realizes that all of the commandments are not just about our actions. They're about our minds and our hearts as well. So he realizes that it meant in the 10th commandment that he must, number one, love God so that he's content in all circumstances without the inner grasping for what you lack. This showed him his sin and prepared him, readied him for his Damascus Road experience that would come later, his conversion. And that began the process for Paul learning contentment. So how do we learn contentment? We learn it as he did by sheer experience in the Christian life, in walking with the Lord, especially in suffering. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes having a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that thorn was, what was bothersome to him that he asked the Lord three times to remove. But the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul realized, when I am weak, then I am strong. God allowed struggles for Paul so he could learn contentment in Jesus Christ. He was able to look back at his thorn and see it was a severe mercy the Lord allowed, an opportunity to turn and depend on Jesus, to learn that he is dependable and sufficient, especially in trial. If you've been a Christian walking with the Lord for any length of time, I imagine you have experienced some sort of trial that gives you the opportunity to depend on Jesus and learn that his grace is sufficient. Maybe it's financial reversal. Maybe a health problem. Maybe a betrayal of a friend or a lost loved one. The question is, in whatever trial you're going through, are you learning where gospel contentment is found? Are you turning to Jesus to show you that he's sufficient and he's dependable? Several weeks ago, I had the privilege of having lunch with two widows, two widows whose husbands have gone to be with the Lord a while ago. And as we talked, they began to share with how much they miss their husbands. And yet, as they also began to talk, they were able to affirm to one another that though they definitely miss their, with beyond words, miss their earthly bridegroom, they are closer than they have ever been to their heavenly bridegroom. In the grief of loss, they are finding peace and joy and that gospel contentment. Those women have no idea what encouragement and inspiration they are to me. Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul says, this light momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Gospel contentment in every circumstance. However, this doesn't mean that we won't hurt, that we won't experience suffering, that we won't cry in this life. We will. We do. But it does mean that gospel contentment will change us. It will mark us and make us different. The marks of gospel contentment. It'll motivate and produce in you profound gratitude and generosity. Gratitude, Paul is writing here to the Philippians in response to a gift he received from them. He makes it clear he didn't need it. He didn't have to have it, but he was grateful for it. Gospel contentment enables you to say, I don't have to have the win, the job, the house, the spouse, the kids, the recognition, whatever, in order to know joy. But I'm grateful when it comes. Such a life of thankfulness shows itself in generosity in wanting to give to others. Generosity that enables us to see everything you have, your time, your stuff, your treasure, your talents, your life, all of it are not things to be grasped, but blessings to be shared. Gospel contentment motivates you to move away from the project of self-satisfaction to the privilege of glorifying God by generously serving and giving to others. Gospel contentment is a learning process, as Paul tells us. And if you're like me, you tend to be spiritually forgetful. You need to remind yourself again and again who Christ is, who I am, what he has done for me. As the old boy from East Texas said, the gospel's like fish. It's got to be caught fresh every day. We must remind ourselves that Jesus is my joy. He's my worthiness, my security, my contentment. And it's our great heavenly physician who oversees our learning process to bring us more and more to spiritual health ready for all circumstances. His his prescription, Christian, is to trust him and to recognize that he's at work in you. Your job is to do what he says. Live the Christian life. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, as our gospel passage says. Spend time with him. Spend time with his people. Spend time with those in need. Pray to him, worship him, feed on his word and on his sacrament in his body given and his blood shed. Serve where needed and then leave the rest to him. Your heavenly father knows you better than you know yourself. And according to your need, so will be your supply. For it is 
his supply that he controls and infuses into you right when you need it. As we come to the end of this year's epiphany season, we can thank our Lord that he has revealed himself to us more and more as we look to him, the light of the world, even as the Magi did, as they followed his light and came closer in faith. But Jesus also says that you are the light of the world, you who are followers of him. And so let your light shine in the world that others may see your contentment, especially in darkness, in all circumstances, that they may see your contentment and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your powerful, transforming presence in our lives and for the privilege of abiding in you by faith. Help us to know the byproduct of such abiding, the joy, peace, and contentment in all circumstances that only you can give. Help us to learn to live this way as your light in your world, that many may find you in the darkness. In your name we pray. Amen.